We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The mysterious case of D.B. Cooper remains to this day the FBI's only unsolved case of air piracy. Could it be possible for a man to board a plane, steal $200,000 and jump out, never to be seen again? So many unanswered questions remain, with two of the most important being who was D.B. Cooper and what happened to him? Join us for part two of the D.B. Cooper hijacking case as we discuss the possible suspects, what happened after the jump, and attempt to answer the question that has stumped investigators for decades. This is part two of the mysterious case of D.B. Cooper. Well, hello, our fellow weirdos. It's your host, Dom. And Amy. And this is episode 34, part two of Horror House, True Crime and the Macabre. We hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. And remember, dear listener, that you are an amazing human being and you're awesome and you're worth all of the good things. Amy, how are you doing today? I am very, very well very well much better than I was a week ago when I had COVID and was you know dying of death but now I'm back on track and I'm I'm happy to be (laughs) back to talking about D.B. Cooper because it is not over oh no that suave sophisticated man or alien (laughs) yeah I haven't let it go I haven't let it go I'm still I'm still keeping it it's still one of my theories don't expect that there's going to be no talk of aliens this episode just because I've had a week off, sorry. You're dying on that hill. I absolutely love it. It's a valid theory. It's It could easily happen. Uh-huh. Okay. We'll... Oh, whatever. We'll, I'll agree. Whatever. You don't have to agree. <laughs> you know, people didn't think the world was round for a really long time and it turns out that it is. So do you know what? Maybe D.B. Cooper is an alien and one day I'm going to be laughing back at you. You're going to stumble across like a Netflix documentary or like a History Channel documentary. Just being like, D.B. Cooper is an alien. And then you're going to message me being like, ha, I fucking told you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, suck it, bitch. I told you he was an alien. I told you he was in my (laughs) day. So if you don't know, people, uh, Horror House has a Patreon page, which means we're an actual podcast now. Like, uh, you know, not too long ago, I got my first one star review which put me in kind of an actual podcast territory. But now we have a Patreon page. We are an actual podcast, Amy. An actual proper podcast at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you want early access to episodes, if you want bonus content, if you want ad-free episodes and more good, good stuff, then come and join the Horror House Patreon. Remember, you can pay for a 12-month subscription straight out. If you're like, I don't want to pay per month, I'm just going to pay 12 months here and now. And then, you know, you can cancel it straight away, but you can get 12 months of just goodness. You can get 12 months of goodness. How amazing is that? That is pretty amazing. That's a whole lot of goodness. 
That's a whole lot of goodness. That's just loads of me and Amy in your ear holes. No, just we're not loads. doing that again. That's that's how you don't get people to sign up. We're we're not we're not going to do anything to your ear holes other than sing sweet melodies into them and and no poor honey. Is pouring honey in ear holes still a thing? I feel like it is. We're going to do nice things to your ear holes. What we're not going to do is dry hump them, as implied in the last episode. <laughs> when did pouring honey in ear holes be a thing? When was that a thing? I'm sure that was a thing. I'm pretty sure that was a thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's a poetry thing. Like maybe it's metaphoric honey as opposed to actual no. honey. Um, I don't know, but I'm sure I've heard it somewhere. <laughs> it sounds like something like Victorian doctors would do because they had no knowledge of like things that actually help people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe it was a Black Death thing. Maybe I read it for that episode. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've probably made it up. Ignore maybe. me. Don't go pouring honey in your ear holes, people. It's probably not wise. <laughs> Victorian doctors saw that like Wild West doctors would like, you know, be like, oh, you've got a headache. Here's opium. They were like, ah, oh, earaches, honey. Right in the ear hole. Genius. In your ear hole. Move on. <laughs> so there is three tiers on the Horror House Patreon. We have a pound fifty tier, which is a general support tier. If you're not too fussed about the perks, but you still want to uh, support the show and you still want to, you know, uh, do a little subscription each month, then pound fifty, Just a little, a little support tier for us or there's the four pound tier which gets you ad free episodes the bonus content the early access and there's also the eight pound tier which gets all of the perks from the from the four pound tier but a few extra ones as well um so that is the patreon page but in addition to the patreon page amy we also have something else we also have something else what is that we we really do um we do also have our buy me a coffee link um, which will give you the opportunity to give us exactly the amount it costs to buy a cup of coffee. And believe me, I really, really could do with a coffee right now. Um, as I could at the start of most episodes, because <laughs> Dom puts me to sleep. Ooh, burn! Sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's a really good way to support us without subscribing. So please do feel free to use it. But also just reach out just leave us a nice comment say nice things to us send us nice dms because that is worth its weight in gold it is it is um don't know where this sassy amy is is come from today it's, it's obviously say me. pick on dom so say me <laughs> the sa- <laughs> sa- sa- say me's co-hosting today <laughs> not amy say me is <laughs> Oh dear. So yes, we have the Buy Me A Coffee page as well. Uh, speaking of Buy Me A Coffee, uh, my mum, bless her heart, <laughs> she she bought us three coffees the other week, which Aww. was unbelievably adorable. <laughs> and I bet you drank them all, didn't you? I bet you didn't even send me one. You just you just had all those coffees. And she was definitely sending them to me and not you. Ooh, that's awkward. Uh <laughs> Moving on, uh, <laughs> I drank two of the coffees, and I did send I did send you one. Obviously, it must have got lost in the post 
can't think of any other reason why it wouldn't have got to you. You just don't know. Postal strikes yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> Damn you, Royal Mail. Thank you for, you know, uh, not sending it out like we discussed. But damn you, Royal Mail. How dare you do this? <laughs> uh, but yes, thank you, my my dear old, dear old mum. She's going to kill me for that. The the coffees were very, very appreciated. Mum, Mama, Mama Brown is our number one fan. <laughs> That's good. My mum hasn't even listened to a full episode yet because she has such a short attention span. So... It's nice to know that at least one of the mummers is on board. Oh, bless. So, Amy, are you ready to get hijacked again? <laughs> Couldn't think of anything better than that. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, I'm pretty much always ready to be hijacked. So let's do it. That's what Tina Mucklow said, wasn't it? <laughs> Already Duncan on Ooh, Tina That's Mucklow. what she said. <laughs> sorry, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> no, this can't. This, we can't be this penis oh, heavy dear. in the second part. Part one was extremely penis heavy. This time, there's going to be a lot less penis. Yeah, part one. <laughs> <coughs> oh come on, Don! We're only like five minutes in. You can't start choking already. Uh, <laughs> why did Why did I take that so dirty? Five minutes in and you can't be choking already. I took that so much. So I know exactly much how you took it. it. Oh. You took it like a champ. Well done. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> oh dear. It's 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 falling apart. We're twelve minutes into this fucking recording and it's all gone to shit. The bomb's gone off. The the bomb the bomb has gone off. <laughs> so the FBI would periodically release its working hypothesis and tentative findings based on witness testimony and the few uh, physical evidences to the public during the 45 years that it was actively conducting its investigation. Uh, based on the eyewitness accounts of passengers and flight crew, the FBI would create a number of composite sketches of Cooper over the first year of the inquiry. Less than a week after the hijacking, Composite A, which was later mockingly referred to as the Bing Crosby sketch, was finished and made public for the first time on November the 28th. Obviously, that sketch went down a treat. That's when the ladies are saying, hijack me, I'm rum ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eyewitnesses... Uh, as as you can guess, as they, it was referring, it was mockingly referred to as the Bing Crosby sketch. Eyewitnesses did not like Composite A, um, as they believed that it portrayed a man who was considerably younger than Cooper, and whose face was uh, much thinner than Cooper's. Not gonna lie, when I was researching this, and I came across like this, the section about the sketches and shit. I thought I thought when it said the Bing Crosby sketch, I thought it said the Bill Cosby sketch, and I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> oh no!" <laughs> that's a very different composite sketch. That that's way off. It's <laughs> a very different. No wonder, no wonder people didn't like composite A. <laughs> it's fucking Bill Cosby. An eyewitness claimed that composite A lacked Cooper's impassive "let's get it over with" look 
in a complaint to the FBI. <laughs> what a complaint to make. <laughs> That's also what Tina Mucklow said. <laughs> Imagine like calling up the FBI and just being like, Oi, your sketch is shit. DB Cooper, where's this whole <laughs> give, didn't give a fuck look on this sketch? It's shit. We'll change it. It's rubbish. It's difficult to draw that, to be fair. Like, how do you draw someone not giving a fuck? Right. Right. How can, like, what, how can you draw just like an impassive person? Like, you I, know I don't. In the memes don't, where I'm... you have that meh face, where it's just like meh. It's, you have to draw that oh, yeah. Yeah, as yeah, a yeah. composite sketch. And yeah, you I would, just don't you? think that's going to happen. FBI flight, or oh, sorry, FBI flight attendant. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what the fuck? Man, man cannot read. Uh, as we said, an eyewitness claimed that Composite A lacked Cooper's impassive expression uh, in a complaint to the FBI. Flight attendant uh, Florence Schaffner, who repeatedly told the FBI that the sketch was a poor likeness, would also give Composite A an especially unfavorable review. Schaffner was literally just like, nah, that ain't my DB. Nah, that's not my DB. Sorry, pretty harsh about this composite sketch to be fair like if someone had drew a picture of someone i'd seen like if he went to someone for example and went right he had this he had brown hair he had you know whatever whatever and they drew a picture i'm not gonna turn around and go you know what that's shit mate like i just <laughs> criticize my own descriptive <laughs> skills before i started criticizing someone's ability to draw so i just drew what you told me <laughs> then you alone. yeah i can't draw true. for shit i can't there's criticize some, anyone else there's some there's like some poor FBI sketch artist who probably like did, he probably worked hard on like composite A and he was probably really proud of it. He probably finished it and was like, you know what? That's, that's really good that. And, and it's going to be all good. It's going to crack the case. We're yeah. going to get and old then, DB. And then he just gets. <laughs> went, nah, bruv. No good. <laughs> Hate it. Awful. <laughs> so the poor guy probably took it home and now it's on his mum's fridge. <laughs> With a big F on it. so the fbi would start creating a second composite sketch which which they would refer to as composite b after getting numerous complaints about composite a from eyewitnesses the fbi indicated that one of the key objectives for the revision of composite a was to uh, more correctly depict cooper's age and his swarthy complexion that's a bit harsh wait what's swarthy (laughs) What does that mean? Am I being dumb? What does that mean? I don't know. Google. Isn't Swarthy, isn't that something to do with pirates? On the scurvy. (laughs) 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 Swarthy and scurvy are not the same thing. Sorry, I was confused. Cooper and his scurvy complexion. (laughs) No, mate, he had an eye patch. (laughs) Jumps out the plane with a parrot on his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Walks the plank out of the plane. <laughs> right, so what does swarthy mean? I love that you're asking Siri. Swarthy, dark complexion. Dark complexioned. Oh, okay. And it's swarthy, apparently, not swarthy. Oh, swarthy, okay. <laughs> I pronounced that one wrong. In late 1972, Composite B was finished and shown to eyewitnesses. It was criticized by the eyewitnesses for portraying Cooper as being too angry or nasty, despite the fact that there was an improvement over Composite A by making Cooper appear older. This sketch artist, like, legit can't win. <laughs> How the hell does a picture 
of a guy looking like deadpan, no expression whatsoever. Oh no, he doesn't look angry enough. Or no, he looks too angry. What? No. <laughs> it, what? How? <laughs> I can't draw him with a whacking great smile because that's not how you saw him the whole time. Honestly, it's been way too critical. Just let the people do their jobs. And if they're not doing it well, describe him better. <laughs> Composite C is literally just him with like the biggest shit eating grin. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he was super friendly. So give him a massive smile or, or just draw exactly the same picture, but he's handing you a present. Oh, uh, it's, it's like they're just complaining for the sake of complaining at this point. It's like they don't want him to be caught. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, that's, oh, that's oh. a fair point. That's Conspiracy. a fair point. One flight attendant said that the sketch made Cooper look like a hoodlum, while in her memory he was more refined in appearance. A hoodlum. DB Cooper just turned into a massive yobbo. <laughs> as those and everything. <laughs> he was wearing a suit. <laughs> Such a hoodlum. He had a dress suit on. He was smoking on a plane. <laughs> he was drinking his bourbon. And his sprite. He was wearing loafers. <laughs> he was wearing loafers. I'm so, I need to get what over is, the loafer thing. I'm really thing sorry. I've got like a real issue. Yeah. With the fact that he was wearing loafers. And what, yeah. what? I've got nothing against loafers. It's fine. <laughs> They're a good shoe, I guess. It sounds like you've got something against loafers. What did loafers do to you <laughs> that has made you hate them so? Don't want to talk about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my tea's gone cold. I'm going to have to drink this whole, whole my thing. My tea's now. gone cold. I'm wondering why. Jumped out of the plane at all. <laughs> Please don't keep that. I didn't, I... <laughs> Amy. Oh, I know. I think you know the answer to that. I think I know. you know what the answer to that is. Every time be. I say, Please don't keep that in, <laughs> not only do you keep it in, but you keep in the part where I ask you not to keep it in. So. Oh, the power of the editor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so numerous witnesses also expressed concern that the man in Composite B was a little older than Cooper and that his skin tone was still too light. On January the 2nd, 1973, a revised Composite B was finalised after considering these recommendations. <laughs> skin tone was still too light. <laughs> Do you reckon he just went over it with another shade of pencil again? I reckon so. I reckon like, enough for at you? this point, <laughs> I reckon at this point he was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not redrawing this again. I'm literally just going to color this in with a darker shade. That's all I'm doing for this. Draw it your fucking I'm not redrawing Tina. this again. If you don't like how I'm doing it, you go <laughs> off and try it. All right. We'll see how good you are. Uh, one flight attendant observed that the revised composite B, uh, the, and remarks that the sketch bore a very close similarity to the hijacker. The FBI was informed by a different flight attendant that the hijacker would be easily easily recognisable from this sketch. My God, they were happy with the composite sketch, Amy. Crazy. On April 1973, the FBI came to the conclusion that the revised composite B was going to be the most accurate portrait of Cooper that they could create based on eyewitness testimonies that it and that it ought to be regarded as the final sketch of Mr. D.B. Cooper. The two flight attendants who interacted with Cooper the most, Schaffner and Mucklow, were interviewed on the same night in different cities and provided nearly identical descriptions of the man, which was 
about five feet, 10 inches uh, in their mid forties with short hair pulled back, weighing between 170 and 180 pounds, having a swarthy or olive skin tone and speaking without a noticeable accent. That's mad how they could get that much information like that. I'm, I'm just really bad at judging people's like measurements and stuff. So I'd be useless at trying to identify a criminal because if you said to me right. how tall were they I'd be like well they were taller than me or they were shorter than me and that's basically all I've got to give you and I know that I'm five five <laughs> so you know whatever and then how much they weigh like I don't know I don't even know how much I weigh I've got no idea I just look at another person and go <laughs> oh yeah between 170 and 180 pounds absolutely no clue yeah it's it's crazy like just yeah some people the way they can pick out these little details is is just mad if someone like literally came to me and was like right how would you describe this man i'd literally just be like uh he was a tall man with dark hair he was a <laughs> tall man with a face like yeah. <laughs> he was a tall man with a face <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna make he, a note he, to myself he was a tall man like i think i'm quite good at remaining calm under pressure <laughs> so if i'm ever in a situation where i'm being hijacked i mean that's not going to be the case because number one this wouldn't happen like it did back then and number two i'm not an air stewardess so it's unlikely but if i'm ever in a situation where I'm, a crime is taking place and i think i'm gonna have to you know, be a witness and describe this person at a later date. I might just stop the criminal, like, you know, do all they need to do, make sure you're not going to get killed, but then stop them. Just be like, wait, before you go, obviously you've got what you want. Good for you. Excellent criminally, 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 um, <laughs> excellent crime doing. <laughs> but before you go, please can you tell me how much do you weigh and how tall are you? Because I really want to get it right. <laughs> I'm sure they won't mind. Even if they lie, you can just be like, well, that's what they told me. So at least I tried. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Schaffner was the only person to remember the color of his eyes and she characterized them as brown. Schaffner just was like, I was staring into his eyes the entire time. There were these beautiful brown eyes. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. Got lost his in eyes them. were brown like the tree trunks. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I could see how hard you were thinking as well. I was like, oh, she's going to come up with something. Tree trunks. <laughs> <laughs> I could only come up with one other thing, and, uh, and that was going to be way worse. So I, I went with tree trunk. <laughs> <laughs> they were brown like the uh, shit I did in my pants when he jumped out. <laughs> Um, the University of Oregon student Bill Mitchell <laughs> it was just fucking Grant Mitchell's like long lost fucking brother. <laughs> oh, Bill Mitchell. <laughs> it was like it was on the flight, just being like, "Oh shit, I'm supposed to be at the Vic." Ah oh, fuck, Peggy's gonna fucking kill me. Get out of my pub. <laughs> Our American listeners are so confused right now. <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Just Google it. If you Google EastEnders Mitchell Brothers, this is who we're talking about, except one of them's called Phil. Actually, this is completely yeah. random. Don't bother. <laughs> it's not that exciting, to be honest. I don't know why we're finding it as funny as we are. Because I'm drunk. <laughs> uh, Bill and Phil. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Bill and Phil. <laughs> oh dear. So Bill Mitchell, uh, as we said, a University of Oregon student who was seated across from Cooper throughout the three-hour flight from Portland to Seattle, would provide a great deal of the testimony that the FBI would use in what is now known as Composite Sketch B. He said Cooper was between five foot nine and five foot ten, and that a and that at six foot two he was much taller than Cooper, even referring to Cooper as slight. Uh, Mitchell's descriptions of Cooper were mostly similar to those of the flight attendants. Uh, Robert Gregory, uh, one of the only other passengers beside Mitchell who would provide the FBI with a full description of Cooper, also provided a shorter impression of Cooper, describing him as five foot nine. Gregory stated that he believed Cooper to be of Mexican-American or American-Indian descent. So based on testimony that Cooper recognized Tacoma from the air as the jet circled the uh, Puget Sound, and his accurate comment to Mutko that the matured Air Force Base was about 20 minutes drive from the Seattle-Tacoma Airport, which was a detail most civilians would not know or comment upon, it appeared that Cooper was familiar with the Seattle area and may have been an Air Force veteran. It's possible that his financial condition was hopeless. Extortionists and other criminals who steal huge sums of money almost always do it because they need they need it immediately. Otherwise, the crime is not worth the significant risk, claims retired FBI investigator Ralph Himmelsbach. Cooper might also have known... Uh, Cooper's, blah, oh my God, that was a proper <coughs> tongue twister, which wasn't really a tongue twister. I just can't read it. Uh, Cooper might also have been a thrill seeker who made the jump just to prove it could be done. My idea of sinking a thrill is like eating my dessert before dinner. Well, all right, calm down. I know. Jesus, you're you're fucking off the chain. I'm a woman on the edge. (laughs) Oh, dear. But I I just love that. Like, if that's true, Cooper has literally just planned this entire thing because I, I wanted to prove I could. Like, that's the only reason. <laughs> I mean, he's proved oh, it. After all these years, I'd say he's done the job. So good for you if that was the case. Uh, the FBI internally published an eight-page eight page suspect profile in, my, in May 1973. The profile would make the assumption that Cooper was a military-trained parachutist rather than a sports skydiver because of his age. Because of his age which would have made him an outlier in the sports skydiving community and increased the likelihood that he would have been quickly recognized by a member of that community. Several eyewitnesses uh, commented on Cooper's athletic-looking body despite his age, leading the profile to assume that Cooper was a frequent exerciser, which I am most certainly not. My body attests to the fact that I am not a frequent exerciser. Depends what you consider to be exercise. I mean, I climb the stairs every day. I walk to work. I suppose that's frequent exercise. The fact that the one drink he was given was swiftly spilled and he never asked for more led them to believe that he wasn't a heavy drinker or an alcoholic. According to the profile, an an alcoholic would probably have been unable to resist drinking more uh, throughout the tense and protracted hijacking. 
The FBI estimated that he smokes about one pack of cigarettes each day. Holy shit, DB. That's pretty normal. That's like a chimney. That's like just Gee. a 20 a day habit. That's pretty normal for smokers, isn't it? I mean, uh, we literally both smoke, so... I don't know. Yeah, but I don't I don't smoke a pack a day, though. Well, I don't smoke a pack a day, but only because I can't afford to. I probably would if, you know, they were like 50p a pack, like they would have yeah, been back true. then. I'm still in shock about the fact that they're smoking on the plane next to a bomb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's an, ever a reason to or a time to give up smoking, surely that's it. Surely it's at the risk of blowing yourself up. It's yeah, probably a good true. time to just go, do you know that what? True. I think I'm all right. As we say, the FBI estimated that he smoked about one pack of cigarettes each day based on how many he consumed during the hijacking. Uh, Cooper's vocabulary, accurate use of aviation-related terminology, complete lack of profanity, calm demeanor, mannerisms, and respect for the female members of the team all led the FBI to the conclusion that he was smarter than the average criminal. But was he smarter than the average bear, though? Do you want me to answer that? Is that like a genuine question? No. <laughs> oh, that fell so <laughs> flat. I'm gonna just gonna I'm just gonna move on from that because that that fucking oh that felt like a lead balloon. Um, Wait, what was the joke? I'm let's, let's move on. Let's move on from that. Oh no! I feel like I missed something. I'm sorry. It's, it's fine. I'm, it's fine. I'm just going to save my ego, and I'm just going to move to the next point. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. Oh my god! I put that in there and thought that was that was actually quite funny. <laughs> that reaction. I don't just... get it. What's the oh, reference? Uh, so, it, a character would say it, and it was like a it was like a children's TV show, and a character would say it. Um, Yogi Bear would say it. Is like smarter than the average bear. Oh, why would I know that? No, no, Fucking I'm so hell. sorry. You're so unrefined. I do apologize. <laughs> I'm committed to solving this case, Dom. If you want to just make jokes about Yogi Bear, then that's fine. <laughs> but you know, some of us are taking this seriously. <laughs> so, Cooper was presumably the kind of guy who would commit a crime without the need or desire for an accomplice, according to profilers, because of his ability to rapidly and competently adjust to varied situations as they developed. Agents would hypothesize that Cooper adopted his moniker after the character Dan Cooper, a fictional Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot who participated in numerous heroic escapades, including parachuting in a well-known French-language Belgian comic book series. Fun fact, a cover from this series showing test pilot Cooper skydiving is actually recreated on the FBI website. <laughs> like, granted, that fun fact is not as good as, you know, fun facts with Amy, but I thought it was a pretty good one. And, and you having said that now, I've just realised I'm not entirely sure I have one for this episode. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll have oh. one as we go. But, oh, dear. You know, I'm, I'm sort of utterly useless crap. So I'm sure something good will come out, but I didn't actually have one in mind this time. So I can hear the groans from the listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. As we speak. I'm really sorry. I mean, your joke didn't work. <laughs> I don't have a fact. Is there any point? Let's just jump out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so they assumed that he had come across them while serving in Europe because the Dan Cooper comics were never translated into English or imported to the country. Uh, Cooper also appears to be knowledgeable about aeroplanes, flying techniques, and the surrounding landscape. 
in order to force the possibility that he would force one or, or more hostages to jump with him, he insisted on four parachutes. This ensured that he wouldn't purposefully uh, he wouldn't be given purposefully sabotaged gear, because the action was kept in front of him and also made him less noticeable to the other passengers. Cooper's decision to sit in row eighteen, which was the very last row of the rear cabin, also demonstrated an amount of foresight. Uh, FBI agent Ralph Himmelsbach thought Cooper's decision to employ a bomb was an improvement over the weaponry previously used by hijackers, since it would have prevented any multiple FBI rushes uh, against him. Cooper also gave off the impression of being diligent in his efforts to conceal any traces. This man knows how to commit a crime. He knows what he's doing, and he knows that... So I think the full parachute things is a bit misleading because it does suggest that he's going to take multiple hostages, but actually... You have a front parachute and a back parachute, so that if you're like per person, so if one of them fails, you've got the other one. So the reason that he asked for two of each was so that they would think he would take a hostage and therefore wouldn't give him any full stuff. Because I'm pretty sure I read when um, you know doing the research for this episode that the FBI would have given him a dodgy parachute. You know, if he's a hijacker, they would have given him a dummy, but yeah. because they couldn't guarantee which parachute he was going to put on if he gave one dummy and one real one there's no guarantee that the hostage is going to get the real one so you know it's too risky they'll happily risk db cooper's life but they won't risk the life of the civilian so he was very wise very wise. i normally just sit at the back of the page oh, personally yeah. because i'm nosy and i like to watch people but he actually you know he thought <laughs> about it i normally sit on the plane sit at the, sit, uh, at the back of the plane because like you can recline your seat straight away and you don't have to worry about inconveniencing anybody else. That's also like very so true. Good. As soon as you get on the plane, recline that seat and you are good to go. Uh, D.B. Cooper would ask Mucklow to gather any notes written by him on his behalf and bring them to him just before he jumped. Uh, Mucklow would recall that when she used the last match in Cooper's uh, matchbook to light a cigarette for him, he asked her to give him back the empty matchbox. Cooper attempted to bring some proof with him, but only partially succeeded because he forgot his clip-on tie. Oh, silly goose. Forgot his clip-on tie. Probably because it was a clip-on. Like, you Just can't tie your own tie. Maybe he's not forgetful. as suave as I think he is. Like, he can't even tie his own tie. He's got a clip-on. Did with you James Bond. No, he had a clip-on tie. I mean, I yeah, I knew because we covered it. But, you know, it's... It's just disappointing, isn't it? Like, James Bond wouldn't wear a clip-on tie. <laughs> you know, like, he obviously, like, put a lot of planning into this. So maybe he was like, this would, like, maybe he was like, a clip-on tie would be better because, you know, I don't have to faff around with it. I can literally just go, boop. Well, if that's the case, if, if you really want to be that planned, don't wear a tie. Then there's nothing or to leave behind and you actually. don't have to worry about taking it off. Like, if you're that dedicated to your look. Maybe he was like, you know what? I'm, I need a tie with this outfit. It pulls the whole outfit like, together. And to finish this off, it, <laughs> exactly. How can I wear <laughs> my loafers like, If I don't wear a tie, a tie, this outfit. <laughs> Fucking loafers, man. I know, right? It's outrageous. Um, due to its uh, air stare and the high uh, afterward 
positioning of all three engines, which permitted a somewhat safe jump despite the proximity of the engine exhaust. Trooper, Trooper, who the fuck is Trooper? Dan Trooper. This was the other hijacker that nobody knows about. DB Trooper. Um, Cooper <laughs> chose a 727-100 aircraft as the best option for a bailout escape. Uh, the 727 was equipped with single-point fueling, a then-recent invention that made it possible to quickly replenish all tanks with a single fuel port. Cooper knew how to control the aircraft's airspeed and altitude without going into the cockpit, uh, where he might have been outmatched by the three pilots, and is and is has also had the ability to maintain a slow, low altitude flight for an extended period of time without stalling, which was unusual for an, a commercial uh, jet airliner. Cooper was also aware of crucial information, including the normal refueling time and the proper flat position of 15 degrees, which was specific to that aircraft. He was aware that the air stair could be lowered while the aircraft was in flight, which, uh, interestingly, was a feature that was never divulged to civilian flight crews because it was never essential to do so on a passenger flight and that the switch used to operate it could not be overridden from the cockpit. He might also have been aware that during the Vietnam War, the Central Intelligence Agency was employing 727s to drop agents and supplies behind enemy lines. So man knew his aircrafts. He knew his stuff. And plus, it was kind of before Google and stuff. So it's not like, I mean, we know this now, but only because, you know, you can just pop onto Google, ask Siri and go for your life. He would have actually had to have, you know, known this stuff, (laughs) like really known it. Uh, so first off, <laughs> oh no, oh Bill, sorry mate, I'm gonna butcher your surname again. Uh, first officer Bill <laughs> Ratasack or Ratsack, one of the two, <laughs> uh, who occasionally spoke to Cooper on the interphone during the hijacking, would tell the FBI that he believed Cooper displayed a specific knowledge of flying and aircraft in general. Uh, Special Agent Larry Carr who oversaw the Cooper investigation team from 2006 until it was disbanded in 2016, assumed Cooper was not a paratrooper, but rather a veteran of Air Force uh, of the Air Force, and proposed that it was possible that he was an aircraft cargo loader. He may have learned and gained experience in the aviation industry with such a task. Rarely, loaders are the members of the crew who drop cargo uh, from moving aircraft into the air. For these operations, they uh, they don emergency parachute equipment. Some loaders also receive rudimentary jump training and are aware of how to dispatch items from planes in flight. Such training would have given Cooper a working knowledge of parachutes, but, quote, not necessarily sufficient knowledge to survive the jump that he made. So before we carry on with the next little section of the episode it's time to hear from some other amazing podcasts so we will see you back here in just a few minutes hey you yeah you the one hearing us right now welcome to cryptic soup i'm thena and i'm kylie we wanted to say hey and tell you about our podcast it's a podcast we both host where we talk crimes cryptids murders and a lot of wild stuff in between you can find mothman 
Jeffrey Dahmer, SeaWorld, Spectrophilia, Casey Anthony, or even Skinwalker Ranch to be just a few of the crazy topics we cover. We even do some fun urban legends to make you feel like a kid at the campfire again. We're just two best friends hanging out, diving into all the things that your coworkers think you're a weirdo for wanting to talk about. We have a new episode every Tuesday at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're always open for case suggestions. Our Instagram is at CrypticSuitPod, where our DMs are always open, so slide on in. We always want to hear your opinions about any cases and episodes we cover. You can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcasting platforms. At Cryptic Soup Pod, the menu is always overflowing with crazy topics you'll want to hear about. So join the conversation today and come hang out with us. Stay tuned. Hey guys, this is Hannah. And I'm Amber. And we're That's Not Good, a true crime podcast. Where we talk about everything from true crime, to paranormal, to ghost stories, to weirdness. And we're kind of funny, too. We sure are. Find us on our socials at That's Not Good, a true crime podcast. And wherever you listen to podcasts. Just do it. See you there. Bye. Bye. The FBI had doubts about Cooper's possibilities of survival from the outset of their inquiry and conjectured that Cooper did not survive his plunge. The FBI cited a number of factors and evidence to back up their claim, including Cooper's apparent lack of prior skydiving experience, his apparent lack of familiarity with parachutes, his lack of the necessary gear for his jump and survival, the bad weather on the night of the hijacking, the wooded area Cooper jumped into, Cooper's uh, lack of knowledge of his landing area, and the unused ransom money. So just a few little things. Nothing extensive. Minor things. Minor details. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if I'm going to jump out of a plane, my first thought isn't, oh, I wonder if I should learn how to use a parachute. Like, you know, who cares? We'll work that out later. My first thought is, what should I wear on my feet? And I'll tell you what I wouldn't choose. Fucking loafers. Dan. <laughs> Why has this episode just degenerated into just Amy shitting on loafers? It's just an unwise <laughs> choice. Just don't do it. Knowing what you're going to do, don't wear loafers. It's stupid. I'm just, it's just really upset me, all right? It's just upset me. <laughs> well, looks like I'm going to delete that email to the loafer company that I was going to ask for a sponsorship. That, that company doesn't exist. There's no company that just makes loafers. And if there is, <laughs> then you're stupid and shouldn't be selling to people that are jumping out of planes. Uh, first off, Cooper didn't seem to have the appropriate expertise, training or experience for the kind of jump he was trying to make. Uh, Carr stated that we originally thought Cooper was an experienced jumper, perhaps even a paratrooper. We concluded after a few years that this simply was not true. No experienced parachutists would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with a 172 miles an hour wind in his face wearing loafers and a trench coat. It was simply too risky. 172 mile an hour wind. It's a bit much. So it's challenging. It's a bit much. Uh, Cooper's parachutes were provided by skydiving instructor um, L. uh, Cousy, uh, who testified that Cooper didn't need 
a lot of experience to survive the leap and that anyone who had six or seven practice jumps could accomplish this. However, Cooper would have most likely had serious ankle or leg injuries upon landing without uh, jump boots, according to Cousy, who also pointed out that jumping at night significantly increased the danger of harm. Uh, Cooper also gave the impression that he was knowledgeable about parachutes, though not experienced. According to Mucklow, who spoke to a journalist, Cooper put on his parachute as though he did so every day. <laughs> Mucklow sticking up for her man. <laughs> you know, that does kind of make sense. You know, if you're someone that's Mucklow. only read about putting on a parachute and hasn't actually put on a parachute, then what the FBI is saying is, is bang on. But what Tina's saying is that, no, no, he, he got this. He's done this a million times. Right, he's right. put on a parachute as Mucklow many times as he's like, put on those lungs. I love how Buckley was literally just like, "Man, I'm not taking any slander of my man. He knew how to put on a parachute. All right, he knew what he was doing." I wonder what her feelings really are about <laughs> him now, because obviously she was there. She got to well, I said got to know him I, I know. the course of a flight. She got to know him. I wonder if she's actually like, if she holds any grudges. Or if she's she does respect him, or you know, I'm I'm curious to see how she feels about him. It's interesting. I'll be quite curious to know what um, Schaffner thinks of him as well. Yeah, because he didn't hurt them. <coughs> you know, he was he was quite chill. He was pretty relaxed. He he didn't like I said before. You know, he didn't like inspire fear or try and scare anyone. He was just like, look, I've got a bomb, but that's probably the worst thing about me is that I have got a bomb and I'm having to use it to do this hijacking. But other than that, I'm a pretty cool guy. Yeah. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to get off this plane with my 200 grand. So, you know, I think you would kind of respect Like Even when you were talking about the composite sketch, old Tina and um, Schaffner, whose first name has completely gone out of my brain. Florence. Florence, thank you. They said, oh, no, that picture looks too angry to be him. So clearly they're, they're not holding any sort of ill will. Clearly they're just like, do you know what? He did it. Well done. See you later. So Tina Muckrow would also state that Cooper uh, appeared to be completely familiar with the parachutes which had been given to him. Uh, Cooper, however, opted to use the older, less advanced parachute out of the two main ones he was given. Carr states that Cooper also missed his reserve parachute was only for training and had been sewed shut, uh, something a skillful skydiver would have checked. Uh, so second, Cooper didn't seem to have the supplies that he would need to survive in the wilderness or his jump. Uh, Cooper leapt into a 15 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or 9 degrees Celsius wind at 10,000 feet over Washington State in November without bringing or asking for a helmet, leaving him vulnerable to the brutal wind chill. Probably not great to jump into a November nine degrees Celsius wind at 10,000 feet without asking for a helmet, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Where was Tina on that one? Like, you care about him so much. I can just picture her being like, oh dear, before you jump out the plane, you know, pop, pop your Cardi on. It's a bit nippy out there. And take <laughs> some extra peanuts because you're going to need them when you land. Tina Mucko just turns into like everyone's grandmother. <laughs> Make sure you put a sweater on, DB. Take a snack, dear. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Cooper's 4x12x14 uh, paper bag's contents are unclear, 
But since Cooper did not use any of the bag's belongings to help him during the hijacking, the FBI assumed the bag included equipment Cooper would have needed for his leap, like boots, gloves, <clears throat> and goggles. Oh, I heard that one. I definitely heard that one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's D.B. Cooper. How it brings it out of me. Ladylike. You know? Talking about this suave, sophisticated criminal, and there's you just belching down. <laughs> hey, no one's claiming I'm suave and sophisticated. <laughs> so, uh, thirdly, Cooper did not appear to have an accomplice waiting on the ground to help him escape. Such an arrangement would have required both a precisely timed jump and the flight crew's cooperation to follow a predetermined flight path. But Cooper did not give the flight crew a specific path to follow. Uh, in addition, the flight crew suggested, uh, and Cooper agreed, to shift the flight path and refuel from Seattle to Reno. However, Cooper had no method of informing an accomplice of his revised plans. Cooper's ability to locate himself, get a bearing, or view his landing zone was made more difficult by the low cloud over, uh, low cloud cover, and limited vision of the ground. And finally, <laughs> the retrieved money was discovered to be unused, and the ransom money was never used. Uh, diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment in such terrible conditions, he probably never even got his chute open, stated Carr. Pretty damning. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Carr's just like, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, man, man died. Man died. Oh, that's not what I want to <laughs> believe. It's not what I choose um, to believe. I know. Like, my, my, my heart says that he survived. My head says, like, yeah. To be honest, you know, earlier but when you made the bear in my joke, heart, I thought you were going to make a joke about a bear, yeah, yeah. like, eating him when he landed. <laughs> that, that's where I thought that was going. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. Which, which Fuck. is, like, you know, possible. It, he might have landed. He didn't have any survival kit with him, so he's just wandering through the forest. He might have got eaten by a bear. Who knows? Do you think the Revenant was just, like, a biopic of him after he landed? <laughs> he just gets mauled by a bear and, like... Fucking left. I mean, <laughs> if I was going to pick someone to play him in the movie, then Leonardo DiCaprio would probably be top of the list. So that does make sense. It's like oh, literally a cross between Catch 100%. Me If You Can and fact, The Revenant is the story of DB Cooper. <laughs> it is, isn't sort it? of. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, because it is kind of like like I can see him just in like a cabin somewhere, just being like, "Catch me if you can, feds," like, and just sort of living it up. You know, on on his absolutely ransom strutting money through the stole. airport in his um, suit with Mark Lowe on one side and Shafter yeah. on the other. <laughs> Though when I think of DB Cooper, all I think of is without a paddle. I'm not going to lie, I love that film. What? Okay, what? Burt Why? Reynolds. What's wrong with what's what's wrong with without a paddle? That's a great film. No, nothing's wrong with it. I'm just struggling to understand why you're making the connection with this because. The felt the whole film is centered around them finding DB DB's like loot or ransom money. Okay, this is the point where we realize that I'm thinking of a different film and in fact haven't seen without a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that didn't make sense. No, I get it. Okay, cool. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> According to FBI agent uh, Richard Tosor's theory, 
Uh, Cooper drowned after landing in the Columbia River after being disabled from hypothermia during his leap. However, no concrete proof of Cooper's death has ever been discovered. More than a thousand serious suspects were handled by the FBI between 1971 and 2016, including a variety of publicity seekers and uh, deathbed confessors. And while we could discuss all of them, which obviously we're not going to do because that would take an extremely long time, we would need at least three more parts to this whole D.B. Cooper escapade. <laughs> so we're not going to we're not going to do that. We're just not. So we will look at some of them. And to start off with, I think we should cover one that I was completely unaware of uh, and one that my beautiful co-host uncovered. Um, so Amy, this suspect, please do tell. I most certainly will. Possibly my, I'm not, I'm again, I don't know if I'm allowed to have favourite, but my favourite suspect and the one that I think has a very plausible story is that of Barbara Dayton, who was not born Barbara Dayton. She was, in fact, born Robert Dayton. And she, he, at that point, was very keen to go into the army to be a pilot, was always been a clean flyer, um, but unfortunately failed the physical based on... Um, eyesight issues which was obviously quite a common reason to not be able to be a pilot um back in the day but still maintained an interest um you know had always had ideas about how to jump out of a plane and, and wanted to skydive and things like that and then in 1977 she then she um she'd become barbara as opposed to robert and um, had you know gone through her transgender surgery um became friends with ron and pat foreman they were also quite keen flyers. They were quite keen on skydiving and things like that. And being in the area that they were sort of interested in, they spoke about D.B. Cooper on a regular basis. And Barbara would always be really keen to talk about um, Dan Cooper and, and the whole, you know, the plot, the way that he did it, how he got away with it, all of that sort of thing. And, and being quite a shy person, it was quite rare that she would be so animated in conversation about it. So she had this... Um, you know, this passion for Dick Cooper and, and, you know, it was always keen to talk about him and things like that. Obviously had a very good knowledge at this point of skydiving, of, of that sort of thing, and flying itself. She flew her own plane um, and that kind of thing. And then one night she was having dinner um, with old Ron and Kat and, you know, nice evening and a few other friends. And of course, once again, D.B. Cooper and the whole case came up and she again became very animated. And as she had been a few times, um, when she was talking about David Cooper, she had mentioned things that, you know, just weren't in any of the replace reports and weren't in anything that, that Ron and Pat had read up on. And then Ron turned to her and said, well, maybe you are D.B. Cooper. And her response was, well, Ron, you've caught me. I am, in fact, D.B. Cooper. And at that point, they slicked Ooh. back Barbara's hair. They popped on um, some sunglasses and they took a Polaroid picture of her. And compared it with the composite sketch B, um, the more accurate one, apparently, of the two. Um, and were absolutely astounded by the likeness, that the fact that, you know, they just looked exactly the same. And the reason that I think I'm so invested in this is because it makes so much sense. She was a keen skydiver, or he at the time was a keen skydiver, um, was already potentially at this point dressing as a woman without having had the surgery to become one. So... In theory, if you think about it, D.B. Cooper dressed as a man in his suit, in his loafers, 
don't get me started, jumps out of the plane, performs a successful skydive, lands in the forest, and then takes out his brown paper, I don't know, 14 by 4, you've got the dimensions, dog, paper bag, whips out her wig and change of clothes, and then strolls into the nearest town. And no one is going to question it because she is a woman and they're looking for a man. That is my theory. That's the one that I, well, it's not my theory, but it's the theory that I like the best. It's the one that I think makes a lot of sense. It, you know, what better way to avoid police detection for all these years than to be, well, not become a completely different gender for that reason, but to use that fact and become a woman so they can't find you. I hope okay. that makes up for the fact that I don't have a sack okay. this week. <laughs> no, <laughs> not good enough. No, that was... That was oh, that was good. Juicy, that right? Was good, Ju- very juicy. I can I can see why that would be like your sort of top suspect, or or you know, sort of a suspect that is very high on on your list because it makes sense. She could have you know landed wherever the drop zone would have been and sauntered her way into the next town, and like you say, nobody would have been suspicious because they weren't looking for a woman. They're looking for a man. No. And how did she know? How did she know oh, all of this good. stuff that the police hadn't, even things to the extent that she had told um, Ron and Pat details that hadn't been released until the investigation had been reopened in like the early 2000s. She was telling them that in like the 80s. How would she have known unless it was her? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That was very good. I, I like that theory. I like that. I like that suspect. And she'll have motive it's as well. It's definitely better cause... than my he was an alien theory. <laughs> I mean, you're still dying on that hill though, aren't you? That he was an alien. Or is that not alien? Well, no. Uh, uh, he was not picked up on radar. Yeah, else <laughs> yeah. isn't picked up on radar. Aliens. <laughs> Just saying. So a report naming William J. Smith, who was born in 1928 and died in 2018, of Bloomfield, New Jersey, as a suspect, appeared in the uh, Oreg- Oregonian, or- Oregonian, Oregonian, I think, in November 2018. The report was based on an al- on a analysis of army data that was supplied to the FBI in the middle of 2018. Uh, a veteran of World War II, Smith was a native of New Jersey. Uh, He enlisted in the U.S. Navy after graduating from high school and offered to participate in combat aircrew training. He went to work for the Leahy Valley uh, Railroad after being discharged, where he was impacted by the 1970 bankruptcy of the Penn uh, Penn Central Transportation Company, which was the biggest bankruptcy in American history at the time. The The analysis uh, hypothesized that the clip-on ties metal spiral chips may have originated from a locomotive repair facility. Smith's close friend, Dan Clare, who had served in the military at Fort Lewis during the conflict, may have provided him with information about the Seattle region. Uh, According to the story, the FBI sketches of Cooper and a photo of Smith that was posted to the uh, Leahy Valley Railroad website bore a striking likeness. This is, I've forgotten his name. This is William J. Smith. This is a photo of William J. Smith. I don't know if you'll be able to see. 
Yeah. All right. So the thing is, though, this is okay. Yes, he does look like him. I'll give you that. However, he's not. He's not got any particularly distinctive features. You know, he's just a a normal guy. Yeah, he's got quite a skinny face. You know, I would what I would call a triangle shaped head. But then a lot of people have that. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing crazy. Uh, so another suspect who was the focal point of a Netflix DB uh, DB. Oh my goodness. He was a focal point of a DB Cooper uh, Netflix documentary, which is very good if you haven't watched it. I think it's called DB Cooper, Where Are You? Or something to that effect. It's very That's good. That's exactly what it's I'd called. I highly recommend it. But this man was sort of a focal point of this documentary. And that man is called Robert Wesley Rackstraw, uh, who was a Vietnam veteran who died in 2019. Uh, Robert Rackstraw, as I say, was a Vietnam uh, War veteran, a retired pilot and a former prisoner, and served on an army chopper crew and other forces. He was brought to the Cooper Task Force's attention in February 1978 after being deported to the United States following his arrest in Iran on allegations of explosive uh, possession and Czech kiltling. Whatever that is. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. No idea. Several months later, while released on bail, uh, Rackstraw attempted to fake his own death by radioing a false mayday call and telling controllers that he was bailing out of a rented plane over Monterey Bay. Uh, later, in Fullerton, California, police would detain him on an extra allegation of fabricating federal pilot licenses. The plane he claimed to have ditched was later discovered in a neighbouring hangar, freshly painted. Although he was just 28 in 1971, Cooper's investigators took notice of his physical similarities to the Cooper composite sketches, his military parachute experience and criminal history, but they removed him as a suspect in 1979 after no concrete proof of his involvement could be established. Uh, Rockstraw reappeared as a suspect in a book and a History Channel program in 2016. The book's author, Thomas J. Colbert and lawyer Mark Zaid, filed a lawsuit on September the 8th, 2016, to compel the FBI to reveal the Cooper case file in accordance with the Freedom of Information Act. At a unidentified area in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Colbert and a team of volunteer investigators discovered what they thought to be a decades-old parachute strap in uh, 2017. So this was followed later in 2017 with a piece of foam, which they suspected of being part of uh, Cooper's parachute backpack. In January 2018, Tom and Donna Colbert uh, reported that they had, had obtained a confession letter originally written in December 1971, which contained codes that matched three units Rackstraw was a part of while in the army. Uh, One of the flight attendants, um, which I believe was uh, Schaffner, did not find any similarities between photos of Rackstraw from the 1970s and her recollection of Cooper's appearance. Uh, In response, Rackstraw himself told People magazine, it's a lot of expletive, which is 
which is probably shit, I'm assuming. Um, and they know it is. <laughs> I mean, that's surely a safe bet. <laughs> like he was just like, it's a lot of it's a I mean, I don't shit. think it was Colt's wallet. Like, it's a load so... of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not going to be, it's a load of bunk. It's definitely, it's just like, yeah, it's a load of shit. Rackstraw's lawyer termed the uh, resurrected charges, quote, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's just, just like, Colbert, you're a fucking dumbass. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the FBI would decline to comment further. And in a 2017 phone interview, Rackstraw said that the 2016 investigations were the reason he was fired. Before revealing that the admission was a ruse, Rackstraw did tell Colbert, I told everybody I was the hijacker. Rackstraw, as I said, would die in 2019. So there's a few suspects. Like, obviously, that is barely scratching the surface of the over, what was it, over a thousand suspects that they over a thousand. they processed? Well, over a thousand that they took seriously. So God knows how many more. Ah, yes, that they took seriously. There are many, many suspects that we didn't touch upon. So please, you know, uh, hop on Google and research the D.B. Cooper case and have a look at the many, many other suspects. Definitely. In spite of the federal Sky Marshals program launched the year before, 31 hijackings would take place in American airspace in 1972, 19 of which were carried out with the express intention of extorting money. In 15 of the extortion cases, parachutes were also sought after by the hijackers. The FAA would start forcing airlines to conduct full passenger and bag searches in early 1973. That blows my mind that literally, like, it was only in 1973 that people were like, yeah, maybe, maybe we should have people scan their bags. Yeah, it's not like hijackings didn't happen before that either. Like this, granted, was one that it was a bit strange because yeah, exactly. it was a bomb. But actually, it did happen. You know, people took guns onto planes to hijack the plane. And, you know, the extorting money part was kind of new. Usually, it was just people wanting to go somewhere else other than where the plane was going. But surely, even one hijacking, even if it was just with a gun, would prompt airlines to go, do you know what? Maybe we should check to see if people have guns before they get on the plane. But instead, yeah. it's like, nah, we'll just wait until someone gives us like a real threat, you know, a bomb. We'll wait for that before we start <laughs> checking. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, uh, so federal courts determined that such searches were legal when used universally and when restricted to searches for weapons and explosives, despite numerous lawsuits alleging that they Surprise, surprise, violated the Fourth Amendment protections against search and seizure. I swear Americans just <laughs> whip out the Constitution anytime they're inconvenienced. <laughs> if in doubt, whip it out. <laughs> if in doubt, whip it out. Like, but it's it's just bad. It doesn't shock me at all when I when I came across that. That like they were just like, it's my constitutional right as an American. Like <laughs> if I want to protect myself. With and my then, very own bomb, then you right. leave me the fuck to it, all right? <laughs> and there goes 70% of our audience because they're American. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1973, just two hijackings were attempted, both by psychiatric patients. 
Uh, one hijacker, Samuel uh, Bike, wanted to kill President Nixon by crashing the plane into the White House. Why are you laughing? Oh, I don't know. That's just like, I just want to kill the president and I'm going to do it by flying a whole ass plane into the White House. I mean, there's worse ways of doing it, I guess. It's probably a lot easier <laughs> to just, get I a just... plane into the White House than it is to get a bullet into his head. So, no, that is true. Someone obviously was mad over Watergate and, yeah, never got over it. Um, <laughs> the FAA mandated that the outside of all Boeing 727 aircraft be equipped with a spring loaded mechanism, later called uh, the Cooper Vane, that prevents the lowering of the air stair during flights in response to the numerous copycat hijackings in 1972. As a result, the air stair may operate normally on the ground um, and the vane is automatically operated and cannot be controlled from within the airplane. Peepholes were also required to be installed in all cockpit doors as a direct result of the hijacking. This would allow the cockpit personnel to view passengers without opening the cockpit door. And that is where we end part two of the curious case of D.B. Cooper, a forever enduring mystery and one that will, I mean, I don't know, it's probably fair to say one that will stay unsolved. Amy, how did you find part two of the D.B. Cooper mystery? I was hoping it would answer more questions and I'd get some sort of resolution, but I didn't. I I just still don't know. I, I mean... At this point, I'm not even sure if I I care who D.B. Cooper is. I just think that I need to know if they survived. I think that's my biggest question. Did they survive? Did they get to enjoy that money? I think they're just like, with this case, if you answer a question, you just end up with more questions to answer. You know, I don't think we'll ever know if he survived. I don't think we'll ever know if he, you know, was able to enjoy the money or anything like that. I think this this is a case that will always have a big old question mark next to it. As people, we like to be able to answer questions that we don't know the answer to. We like to have closure and we like to have finality on things. Mm. But yeah, this is one of those cases where like, I don't think there's ever going to be closure. No, and definitely not now. I mean, you know, it's the FBI basically given up, you know, they're not doing anything on it anymore because really what's the point and yeah i think it's it's a nice it's a nice true crime which isn't a phrase that anyone should really say but it it didn't do too much harm you know he he tried to do it with as little harm to anyone else as possible and i think that's one of the reasons that you know i wanted him to survive so much i want him to you know land superhero landing in the middle of the woods late at night after that jump and sail off into the sunset with all of his money because he sounds like if you're gonna do a hijacking do it the db cooper way no 100 percent. so as always if you enjoy what we do here at horror house please rate review and share uh we've recently got a few five star reviews it's been very very nice to get a few five star reviews and please rate review and share it doesn't cost anything it's totally free and it only takes a wee few minutes. So please do. But be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at horrorhouse underscore pod and on your podcast app 
of choice. Also, don't forget to have a look at the Patreon page. And also, if you're so inclined, maybe buy us a coffee as well. Next week, we have a very special episode. However, you're going to have to wait and see exactly why it's a very special episode. So, you know, you just have to come back next week, aren't you? Uh, Amy, would you like to see us out? I would love to see us out, you big tease. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing week. And until next time, stay spooky. Stay spooky, y'all. Bye.